and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and the season is pretty much here or as close as it can get uh, this time of year. We've even got a game coming up this Saturday, the visit in New Orleans and we've also got a visit of a returning guest, uh, Mr. Jordan Pun Texans Thoughts. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ewan. It's always great talking ball with you. I'm super, super excited for the season to begin. Let's get into it. That's it. And what's your new title now, Texans Wire? You what you're doing? <laughs> Still doing YouTube? What's uh, what's the setup now that you've finished uh, college? Yeah, I finished college, graduated in May, took some time to travel um, over the summer, and now I am writing for the Texans Wire over at USA Today. Still doing YouTube, still doing the podcast um, with Believe and uh, Quentin Demps. So yeah, just trying to juggle a bunch of things and, and see what comes of it. No, that's good, man. That's it. Living the dream, I think. That's if you can yeah. do this, do this full time. Then that, that's uh, that's the that's the ideal. And, and the trip around Europe was good. What was your favorite place? Uh, so I spent two weeks in Italy, right. um, and then I got stranded in France for a day because I missed, my, well, not I missed, my connection flight was delayed. And so I got stuck there overnight. They, had, they put me up in a hotel. Um, I had like about 12 to like 14 hours in Paris, got to explore a little bit. Um, so it was a cool city, um, but definitely I loved Italy, man. I, I think like the whole like Tuscany region there, like doing the wine tours up there. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Man. Amazing. Yeah. You find out you've. You've been eating pasta wrong your whole life. I think when you go out, Lee, I think that's, that's a <laughs> big, yeah, that's a big part of it. But uh, but uh, yeah, and we've got some uh, football to talk about this weekend. But um, first of all, uh, we've got I suppose some camp reports, and I think how do you? I suppose the training camp. I and I was, and I know you always say the film don't lie, and and I suppose they're not real situations. They're seven on nine, seven on sevens. They're limited in terms of their transfer ability to games and whatnot, but it's certainly fun to watch it and see what's going on, try and get an idea for the team. But of any of the reports that you've seen, is there any stuck out to you that you've you've kind of really noted down or people that have affirmed your expectations going into the season? I think that's what it really comes down to, Ewan. You said it perfectly. Like I feel like the film is number one what takes priority, and then these training camp reports can help affirm what we've seen on film, whether that's college film with rookies, guys showing out like Jalen Petrie and Damian Pierce. Those have been kind of the two biggest names right now that are getting a lot, a lot of praise, whether it's from teammates or coaches or, or whatever it may be. Um, so those are kind of reaffirming, you know, what I saw on college tape that, you know, Jalen Petrie, he's, he's got a nose for the fo- football, right? He's already got three interceptions in training camp. So to me, Boom, that's checking off a box. Like it shows, okay, this is starting to translate to practices now. We saw it in games in college. Next up is practices in the NFL. Next up is preseason. Next up is regular season. So it's really this long checklist before we got to say that, hey, like Jalen Petrie, he's going to be certified baller in the NFL. Um, so there's some things you can take stock into it. Um, but then for the most part, like like you said, you want to see those game reps. Um, and we're getting closer and closer to that. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I suppose you, there's there's certain things you see. You're like Derek Stingley's the best corner on the team. That's, I fucking hope so because you know yeah. you took him third <laughs> overall. Uh, you know Jalen Petrie has got a nose for the football. You know you saw that and the versatility of his role at Baylor. So it's good to see these picks that hopefully because we're going to have to ask them to contribute early and contribute in a way that's going to help the team if this is going to be a better season than this in the season prior. So you hope these guys can come in and and find their way. But the big issue is you got. Kenyon Green, um, who Lovey Smith basically admitted is not in game shape because he's had an operation. Yeah. He's now missing time. Christian Harris, who you know is a converted safety, still learning the linebacker position. So, 
what's your take on it being how imperative is it for rookies not to miss time and when they do what they got to do to try and catch up because the, the, the gulf is already massive so this only sets them back further um yeah it's not really what people want to hear but it is absolutely true your point that it can be a big big kind of roadblock um and deterrence for rookies because like you said the gap is already so big mentally and physically um most of these guys like they're in like college shape good enough to get by whether it's in the sec or, or whatever division that they were in but i can tell you as a recent college graduate like there's no way my body would be ready for nfl athletes and i don't i don't play football like i'm not i'm in a different tier from these players like Kenyon green and whatnot but i can just tell like as a as a 22 23 year old like i can't imagine having to go up against grown men bodies like that so having that injury um like you mentioned with Kenyon green it, it it will be a bit of a deterrence to his rookie season in my opinion um we've seen stuff like that last year with with nico collins he seemed like he was building up some sort of confidence and then the injury happens and it kind of just derails everything so it, it's having it even earlier now in training camp for me can be even more detrimental in my opinion because right now it's all about like laying the foundation and the groundwork. Um, so you can keep building up on it and stacking these days. And if you're already kind of knocking out that foundation, it's it's, it's tough. So optim I'm still optimistic about Kenyon Green in the long term, but as a rookie, might be a bit slower than we'd hope. Hey, that's the great thing about having two first round picks. Well, let's say hopefully one of them is going to pay pay <laughs> off. I think with the the thing with Ken, you know, we needed them this year to come in and be the engine of the team and be the biggest probably supporting or leading board that Mills can have is an improved running game. And I think Kenyon potentially on his college tape in the SEC stood to be potentially the best run blocker on this line in terms of a power scheme albeit the Aggies last year under Jimbo Fisher they did run a lot of zone and it's not you know a wholly transferable um, body of work he's got in college but certainly he was versatile and you hoped he would come in and, and really kind of change the mentality of this line because there was some run blocking that he showed on tape that was nasty and I think it's it's got the potential to set the running game back early in the season, but it's also got the potential um, to save Max Sharpen's career if he can come back in at left at left guard. I mean, I'm not expecting big things, but if he can become solid and 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 hold the and hold the position down for a number of weeks until they feel Kenyon's ready, and because the bye weeks early this year, that may be you know um, before the trip to Vegas. But I think there's there's certainly you know points to be considered and you know you see all the time rookies when they miss time in their first year they don't necessarily reach their potential and I think it's definitely for both those guys more so for Kenyon because we really needed him Christian's got time there's guys sitting in front of him that can that can play and you can you can you know blend them in as time goes but um but certainly it's a bit of a concern but yeah it's bubbling nicely but this week we're myself and John are going to talk about the defense predominantly um and try and just kind of flesh that out what we're expecting and obviously we've got some games to to kind of see some of that it will be vanilla but it won't be till week one against the Colts we see this in its truest fashion but first of all lovey scheme he comes back Jordan what do you think think of him being the head coach but also having DC playing uh, call or play calling duties on a Sunday do you think how doable is it and do you think there's any drawbacks to that he's certainly very bullish and adamant that it's not an issue but what do you how, how do you see it um, I definitely think there's this positives and it's negatives I think him being the head coach and the DC now is going to make you know it's so much easier for players to buy in to who he is as a person, who he is as a leader, as a head coach, his system and, and all those good things. Because as we saw last year, just with David Cully, I mean, it, it, 
I don't know how it's just night and day in terms of the resumes that those two guys have. So of course it's going to be so much easier to buy into a guy like Lovey Smith. Um, so I think that's the positives of him being head coach DC. But then, like you said, there are drawbacks. There's just more on your plate. There's way more duties now on Lovey Smith's shoulders. We saw it in years prior with Bill O'Brien, OC head coach. There's a lot on the play. He wasn't able to fully, you know, be fully connected into the offensive duties that are necessary of an offensive coordinator. And so I think it will make it more challenging for Lovey Smith, especially when he needs to diversify his defense. He needs to stop playing Tampa two over 50% of the time. He needs to start disguising his coverages. He needs to start blitzing more. There's a lot of like schematic things that he needs to do. And he might not have the time to do so now that he is head coach as well. So a lot of it kind of lays on his son uh miles smith i'm sure lovey is grooming miles to be a dc in the future and if miles can take that step forward with those specific schematic adjustments that i mentioned then maybe those drawbacks aren't as detrimental that's yeah, yeah i think i mean it's a fair point he, he he said um when he got announced um back in back in the earlier in the off season that it wasn't an issue offensive guys do it all the time but I made a note of it Bruce Cabina asked him about will he have help from upstairs and he got a little bit chippy about it and I think he certainly wants to show that he can do both and this it's not necessarily impediment to his play calling but I think ultimately you know and you wrote about the Tampa 2 system uh, with you know in the Texans wire earlier in the off season and I thought it was interesting some of the points you made we'll try and go through it a little bit in, ter in terms of that sense um, but what what do you what do you view I mean I, I suppose the biggest the biggest knock on the system or why it's worked so well in the past they had elite talent when he was in Chicago that's what took him to the Super Bowl definitely that's not the case here this season and it may be take a number of years to get there so what so with this sort of addition of Stingley who's predominantly a, a man cover corner who, uh, with Petrie who's you know obviously a very flexible kind of piece on the back end do you expect this to change dramatically right from week one because my biggest criticism was I remember watching the Thursday night football Carolina last year and the holes in the zone were so wide open you could you know they could it could have got beat by any offense that night and I didn't know if that was just a, a rigidness or sticking to his principles whatever you want to call it but you know as the season progressed last year you showed that he showed a greater level of flexibility so with these pieces do you think he's already kind of on that path and that was why he wanted these guys or how do you see it what's your expectations in terms of sort of coverage complex complexity moreover i think in terms of like him being on that path i i don't think it was necessarily a, a lovey decision to go with stingley petrie and that i think it's a nick casario decision um but i think lovey is a guy who is adaptable enough that if you give him those types of guys and, and he talks with Nick and they get aligned on the right vision that he can adjust and make those adjustments into a team that plays more man coverage, into a team that plays maybe with more single high safeties, drop Petrie into the box, blitz guys like Petrie and Christian Harris more, um, and really go away from everything that Lovey has been comfortable with his entire career. I think it's possible, but to your point, I do, I am more pessimistic about that happening right from week one. Number one, because we already saw last year how he'll stick with what he's comfortable in the beginning of the season and then second half of the season, then he'll adjust. And number two, these guys that we're talking about to be the guys that change his scheme in terms of Stingley and Petrie, yes, we see them as like kind of building blocks, cornerstones, faces of the franchise, whatever you want to call them. But at the end of the day, they're rookies, right? And so if they were veterans that had proven, you know, production and resumes at the NFL level, then of course, yeah, you, you from week one, you better tailor your scheme to them. But because it's rookies, there's already that learning curve that we talked about earlier. And so it might take 
them a little bit longer to get to that point where they can fully execute the scheme to how Lovey wants it, right? whether that's Tampa 2 or whether that's um, his adjustment. So I think we'll see it starting around maybe after the bye. That's when we'll really start to see it get diversified. But in the beginning, I would not be surprised if it's still pretty Tampa 2 heavy. Do you think this personnel has improved enough to influence games? Because last year, even even playing some of its best ball, um, you would argue that a lot of the games were handed to them. Um, will come over to turnovers, and turnovers one of the biggest reasons. But in terms of a raw talent point of view, has this improved enough to say try and win you two or three games that you may not otherwise if you didn't have the talent improvement? Mm, it's that's a really tough question. Um, I would say maybe improve by one game, but I wouldn't say it's substantial enough to two to three games because that's honestly a big big jump like usually those types of games in terms of like wins added are reserved for like your pro bowls all pro type of players and we didn't add any of those right i like the additions we made in terms of veterans on the defensive line with jerry hughes mario addison Rasheen green um but then the other guys are rookies right in terms of stingley and, and petrie and whatnot and so those are always going to be a little tougher to predict how they add up to to more wins no matter how high I am on Petrie. Um, so I would say one, they maybe added enough talent to win one extra game just purely based off of the defense. Yeah, because I, I kind of look at it as like yeah, Rashad Green is probably better than Demarcus Walker, particularly from an from an internal rush point of view. Um, yeah. You know, Walker got bowled over too many times in that, and it was you know a clear weakness. I think I know he was your guy, but Jacob Martin he didn't get consistent enough in the run game. So is mm-hmm. Okoronko better than him as a speed rusher on the edge? Potentially, we don't know. Time will tell. But you know, I think Stephen Nelson is an upgrade on on Terrence Mitchell. Yeah. I think that you know that there, there's some iterative improvements. But when you go from say the fourth echelon kind of the bottom rung of talent to the you know the second or one of the mid tiers yeah does that translate into game wrecking contributions from these guys potentially not but you know you never know some get some of them might might surprise us i suppose but in terms of the the bit i've talked about a lot this off season and probably want to lean into some of the more schematics of lovey's um, historical play column, but very much he only likes to rush four. That doesn't really bring that much external uh, or or second and, and, and third level pressure um, up front. He did do it at times last year, but it's not a regular feature like a Wink Martindale or somebody of that ilk that really likes to bring the house all the time or, or uh, Spagnuolo in Kansas City. So is there... Do you think the talent up front is going to be enough to do the the, the reports of Mario Addison um, have been great? Um, the same with Jerry Hughes, veterans, but you just don't know, you know, when it's not live bullets flying. You know, is that a real reflection of where they are at the stage of their career? Older players who've been around um, the pass rush is it going to be enough when you when this scheme is so reliant on four guys getting home all the time? Yeah, um, it's a tough question to say. I think. I have confidence in in the veterans being able to produce, like not one of them is going to give you a double-digit sack season, but between two guys, between Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, and between, you might get nine there, you might get 10 there, between Rasheen Green and Ogbonio Okoronkwo, you might get another maybe five or so, say. And so they're really going to take this by committee approach. We saw last year with Lovey how he wants to rotate eight guys really at those four defensive line positions. Um, And so it'll come down to those edge rushers, those veteran edge rushers by committee. And it'll come down to Malik Collins really getting home on, on his sacks. He had a good amount of pressures last year, but he was never really able to finish it. And when he did, he he got rough in the the freaking passer calls all the time. It was crazy. Um, 
So it'll come down to Malik Collins taking that step, adding some more sacks. And then the main man on that D-line um, in terms of a youth perspective, Jonathan Grenard, right? Can he build off of his performance of eight sacks in, in 12 games? It was a really interesting season um, for him because, you know, he wasn't a guy to get a lot of pressures and to consistently get home to the quarterback. He was more of a guy that when he did get home, when he did get past his man, like he was going to finish the sack for sure. And there would be some coverage sacks some cleanup sacks on stunts and whatnot. So he needs to take that next step for this pass rush to be able to do what Lovey Smith wants them to do and just rush forward rather than blitzing. It's really on, on Grenard's shoulders to become that double digit sack guy. And I don't know. I want to, I want to see some more game reps before I'm like very confident in, in making that prediction of whether he can do it or not. Yeah, I think that might, I, I've had the feeling of off-season and I'm still yet to be convinced and obviously want to be convinced, but I think that that, that part of the team uh, may well underwhelm people this year and, and it, it might be, you know, raise its head. And look, it is the, you know, the number one premium position apart from quarterback. If you can get home up front, you influence games and you create, you know, you create pressure and you create turnovers, etc. And I think that's the thing. If you look at Jonathan Grenard, a lot of people are putting a lot of expectations on him. And I think similar, similar to Davis Mills in some way, based on his tape, alone it's perhaps unfair because if you look at like you know the pure win rate or whatever Brandon Thorne calls it where he analyzes every sack as a high quality win you know does he go past the edge does he bend the edge and get round in the tackle and barely puts hands on him now Grenard's got some great handwork he's got that kind of uh, put, uh, pull and uh, push uh, move that he kind of does yeah and uh, he, he uses that to great effect and actually if you watch a number of his sacks how he kind of gets free from the tackle is, is, is through that and his his hand fighting throughout the season last year really worked you know well you could see an improvement on that so he's gonna have to take a, a huge step in that because I don't think he's a true edge bender to get around the edge so um and, and really kind of get low uh, like a Von Miller you know these are kind of elite guys so yeah there's a lot a lot to be decided there up front but you know, look I think there's there's definitely more guys who can who can influence the game and uh, and not get caught out in the run game and I think if you can be solid in the run game and get home enough you know on third down etc it'll be a case now when you're article John you looked at um, a big part of the turnovers do you want to just kind of talk us through that that article and just how the pressures and everything up front you know can relate to turnovers and and how much this team relied on them this year because it's easy to forget great plays exciting um, but this team was heavily reliant on that and I think it's something you can't always guarantee yeah definitely so I wanted to take a look at basically every single turnover that the Texans defense forced last year because it was a big it was the driving factor to their success they really weren't that good of a defense um, by all measures of eye test and, and statistics other than turnovers, but they were able to force the eighth. I don't know why I put up five fingers, the eighth most turnovers in the NFL, or sorry, interceptions in the NFL. Right. So that was the first part I wanted to look at. I was going to look at interceptions. I just finished up my fumbles one and I'll look at turnovers and downs later. But yeah, so in terms of the interceptions, I wanted to see, you know, how we were able to force them, whether it was something Lovey Smith did with his scheme, you know, with the Tampa two, whether it was because of how the Tampa two allows their defensive linemen to play faster, get off the ball, prioritize getting out field. And, and maybe that led to pressures and how pressures can lead to interceptions because pressures will push quarterbacks, you know, around the pocket, force them to navigate, force them to speed up their decision-making process, maybe worsen their mechanics and whatnot. So typically historically, the more pressures you can get as a defense will lead to more interceptions. 
Um, but the Texans, I need to pull up the exact stats on it, but they were, I'm pretty sure a bottom five team in pressures. And so we didn't really see that. Am I right on that? Or do you know the exact? Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you had third, third least in the league last year, which rang a bell soon as I read it. So I think, yeah, bottom five anyway, in pressures up front. Yeah, there you go. So it didn't translate. What I was hoping to see is I was hoping to see Lovey's, you know, philosophy translate to some more pressures, but it it did it third least in the league. I, I would say that it's not even necessarily a lovey problem. It's more so just a, a talent problem or lack thereof. Um, so we didn't see those pressures lead to interceptions. And so what I did consider or not consider figure out is that a good chunk of our interceptions over 50% of them um, were basically due to unforced errors. Like it wasn't us getting pressure on the quarterback, forcing him out the pocket and, and, and making a bad throw. There were a few of those, but for the bigger portion of our interceptions, it was, you know, quarterbacks just making a bad read, um, miscommunicating with a wide receiver on a route, just being blatantly inaccurate on like an otherwise easy and open throw. And so those are unforced errors that you basically chalk up to, to luck, right? That's not going to happen all the time. You know, a quarterback's not going to just miss a slant route nine times out of 10. He's not going to do that. And so because of that luck, luck is a very volatile concept and it can change and, and go higher, go lower each year. And so because we had so much luck last year that helped us generate the eight most interceptions um, in the NFL, there's good odds that that luck is going to swing back down towards the median and we aren't going to be as lucky and have so many of those unforced errors. So what I kind of concluded in my article is that to offset that drop in, in lucky interceptions, we would need to generate more pressure to get those forced interceptions. And so that comes down to, you know, do you believe that we can generate more pressure? Do you believe in this veteran defensive line additions? Do you believe in Jonathan Grenard? And then also, do you believe in Lummy Smith blitzing more to create that pressure himself? Because there's the natural pressure from rushing four, and then there's the scheme and pressure from blitzing, simulated pressures, whatever um, you want to call them. So that's kind of what the article was looking at um, and, and my findings as well. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think there's and that and when I when I read it, I thought, well, that actually resonated with what I remember seeing. If you think of the the win in Nashville, T- Tannehill sailed a few in wet conditions. Mm-hmm. You think of just a complete anom- anomaly in uh, Miami, you know, and all these games. If you think of yeah. Week Two in Cleveland, when when Schwartz cuts off his route and uh, and and Justin Regis comes in and takes basically a free yeah. one. So yeah, there the, the did seem to be a lot of that, and even you know, and we started the season so heavily in Week Week One against Jacksonville and. Which was a you know by far the biggest win of the season, um, and that was because we got you know three gimmies. It felt like at times. So so yeah, there's a, I think it's a, a huge determining factor on the quality and uh, and the and the ability of this defense to keep the offense in games this year. Because as you said, you can't rely on it. So we'll have to kind of shore up and and, and get better. That you know in certain areas, particularly the pass rush. But I think an element of this defense, which I'm just not sure about, looking at, at the roster on paper, John, is our ability to defend the run. Because because as particularly I, mm-hmm. I was going through some clips if you look at Cle- you know when we went against those elite units last year like Cleveland that run the ball okay they're the you know they are the, the pinnacle of it um, or certainly were last year we're going to play Philadelphia on Thursday night football they were number one in um, in yards and, and rush per attempt so you know the inability to run the ball puts so much pressure on all the other levels of the defense, particularly in this scheme when you've got three linebackers who are predominantly space space eaters rather than downhill thumpers. So, where where do you see this team's run defense in twenty twenty two? Do you think it's going to be enough, and Jake's going to improve from last year? I honestly, I think it'll marginally improve. 
But if you think about the additions that we've made, like Rasheem Green, Mario Addison, and Jerry Hughes, those like those guys are the guys I'm just going to keep naming. Um, Steven Nelson, obviously, of course, but we're talking about run defense here. So those three defensive ends, like they're not really known for the run defense. They're not really big edge setters in that regard. So I think that's kind of a wash, maybe a marginal improvement over Jacob Martin. And um, man, who else did we even play on the edge last year? Was Whitney Merciless still getting snaps early in the year? I feel like he yeah. Was. Yeah. He was till yeah. he got cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, w- I would say there's a marginal improvement there, but I don't know. It's going to take us out of like the bottom five. Like maybe we'll still be a bottom 10 team maybe not just a bottom five team because of, you know, improvements with Grenard and, and Roy Lopez and, and whoever that third linebacker may be, whether it's Christian Harris or, or Garrett Wallow. But I would still predict that we are a bottom 10 um, defense in terms of run defense. The only thing that would really change it for me is if we start playing more um, single high safeties, which would mean we drop the other safety into the box. And so you start to have that numbers advantage in the box because right now, from what we saw last year, Lovey Smith playing a lot of Tampa 2, a lot of two deep safeties. That means you've only got, um, what is it, seven defenders yeah. in the uh, in the box. Well, that's so, it. And I think it's it's probably one of the easiest kind of, if you're going to make a check at the line, you see two guys sitting, you know, deep, deep in the field or, you know, or covering two halves of the field, um, you, know, you know, 10, 15 yards away from the line of scrimmage when you only need to make eight. Then you know it's an easy check to the run at times if you're not willing to show that you're going to come and sell out to beat the run. So and I think that's that's definitely something that you know Lovey stays away from. But I think there's definitely a, a tendency, and Wade Smith had this as well. And older school coaches just not to get beat deep. Rack was the same. Just don't get beat deep, you know, and and take everything they give in front of you. So um, you know we'll probably still see that mentality in the defense. Um, We'll kind of run through some of the, the guys that we expect and or we don't expect to make the roster, I think. But I think predominantly that I think most of, assuming they keep 25, Jordan, um, on the defensive side of the ball, I think it was pretty easy for me to kind of get those 25 names. And we'll kind of go through them um, re- reasonably quickly, um, kind of top line. We don't want to go through every single 25 of those guys. But I think, you know, the, the defensive line is probably going to be the toughest cut, I think, because you've got guys around the edges, Kurt Hinesh has come, or Hinesh has come out of, um, of Notre Dame, um, you know, just a... Captain record number of appearances for you know a, a big power five well or independent but you know a, for a big a big program um, and you know you've got Michael Dwemer who I thought flashed and he shows short area quickness um, he's something that or, that or is something that Casario always references so I think he's going to be in the mix and Deontay Harris showed some flashes at the end last year as well so I I have them going with nine because. Well, in any other year or any other team, if he wasn't such a premium pick and the conditions that he came in, I think it might be a question if, if Blacklock makes it. But certainly it sounds like he's flashed a bit more in that. And I think you've got to keep Okrawanko because he's a speed rusher. Booker's your draft pick. You've got Hughes and Addison. You've got Lopez and Collins as you're starting in two interior guys. And you've got Green and Grenard. So that takes you to nine. I think that's probably the toughest cut of the or, or the most competitive spot just with the way this scheme's set up because you've not got defensive ends those tackles and kind of um in the in the true three four sense that we've been used to is there any guys in there you think might make it or are you or are you on board with those guys no i'm 100 with you i think we got a good blend of, of vets and and young guys there and i i would love to see michael Bloom for make the, the roster i'm also i liked what i saw to damian daniels working out of nebraska in terms of his college tape but i think you got the the right nine there Absolutely. yeah yeah, I think it's probably, you know, and you might see a case, a case where you keep Hinesh and you keep 
um, and Daniel's on the practice squad because it's extended yeah. again this year after COVID and clubs seem to like that I think it's and, and you don't want to see any of your draft picks go but any of these guys have been undrafted free agents teams are out there and so there might be some tactical stashes there because all it takes is a couple of reports online and teams get aware of it and it starts to get a bit technical and tactical in terms of the front office shuffling I think the safety is almost pick itself I think Petrie, Murray Owens and Terence Brooks are kind of round off four if you keep four um, would you agree with that? Pull up the safeties. But yes, I would definitely say, what do we say? We said Eric Murray, Jonathan Owens, Jalen Petrie. Who's the fourth? Terrence Brooks. Yeah, okay. I've heard some decent things about Terrence Brooks. Like the other guys aren't really... Well, I mean, you, you probably remember from last year in Indianapolis, which was one of our worst games for who just ran by that safety because he certainly was. I don't think he's a starting caliber player. I think he's here for his, his special teams. But I think that's the trouble, isn't it? Until you get until we get to New Orleans on on uh, to the game on New or- against New Orleans this weekend, I don't think you get a good feel for who's actually going to be in the first team unit in special teams. And obviously, you know, in training camp, there's a lot of trial and error and a lot of practice there. Um, the cornerback group, I think, gets a little bit interesting because you've got your top three guys in Stingley, Nelson and King. Um, but then after that, obviously you've got MJ Stewart comes in, who's going to be a kind of a kind of slot guy, um, can, you know, can play depending on your formation. Um, and then obviously Tavier Thomas kind of flashed. I think people are a little bit higher on him than actually the you know the full kind of breadth of his tape last year because yeah he's got some great read and react ability and he's great coming downhill. And what you need to be is a is in that position when you've got a lot of space either side of you. But I think people are certainly higher than him um, than than necessarily. I think obviously you want to see Des King taking that. And I think. Uh, Yidam and uh, and Sheffield, I think, are, are the two guys sitting there. Obviously, decent pedigree. We've picked them up from other programs. They've probably not fulfilled their potential. But I think unless you're actually there physically watching it, corner is probably one of the hardest positions to evaluate, um, particularly off camp reports because it's so nuanced. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So I think there's a lot to to be seen there. And I think that this is what's good about the preseason. You know, the second and third string guys you'll get to see probably for the majority of the second half on on. Uh, on, on Saturday. Uh, I keep trying to say Sunday, but it is Saturday, so um, this week. Um, and then the linebacker spot, I think it picks itself, really, because you've got Kirk Kirkle, as he's, as he's affectionately known as it, but Christian Kirksey, Grugia Hill, um, Christian Harris, Garrett Wallow, um, and I think Blake Cash has been running with the ones, and I think that was probably predominantly the feedback you got from all the all the all the New York uh, you know affiliates that actually hell of a talented player just can't stay healthy. So looks like you know Touchwood he's been there, and I think the last spot goes to either Reeves Maben um, or KPL, and I think that's you, know, you take six. I think on this on this system. So I think it, it picks itself in many ways this defense pretty much. I think and I think that you probably couldn't have said that last year. So when you actually run through the names, it does make you feel, albeit we're nowhere near we need to be in terms of competing for division titles and championships. But I think there is definitely a, an improvement and an improved shape and an almost a vision you can outline when you sort of kind of go through twenty five guys. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think especially at least on the defense, I think the offense is a little less cut and dry. Um, but the defense, it looks like everything's kind of falling into place. I would say the only, the really main training camp battles I'm, I'm, I'm looking for in, in preseason positional battles is, is the free safety position. Is it Jonathan Owens? Is it someone else? It kind of looks like it's Jonathan Owens' jobs to, job to lose. And then the nickel cornerback position. Is it Tabier Thomas? Is it Desmond King? Um, I've heard Tabier has been getting more reps with the ones, but they have been competing for that pretty pretty well and it's an interesting story because they're they're like best friends from the same city um so it's 
It'll be tough yeah. battle. I think it's an underrated storyline, just the lack of depth at safety, to be honest with you, because I think yep, yep. you've got you've got Petrie there who you're <clears> going to ask a hell of a lot very early on in his career, put a lot on his plate. Yep. Eric Murray's never quite shown, despite having a, a, an, albeit it was a bit of a technicality to smooth these cap dollars out, but it was an extension nonetheless. Um, and Jonathan Rose has never really showed consistently that he is a starter calibre player. I know he gets a lot of great press because of who his wife is and all this kind of stuff, and he seems like a great guy, good locker room influence, but that, and I don't think Terrence Brutes can play, so... If there is one spot on the defence I'd outline to pick up those uh, waiver wire claims on cutdown, I think yep. safety is a, de- a definitive one. Um, and I think there's there's definitely enough guys in the mix at corner to see what you like because obviously the Rasul Douglas example last year is couldn't integrate him in the programme, goes and have a hell of a season, gets paid in Green Bay. So, you know, a c- cornerback's a different you know animal to try and bring into your system, particularly in this one where there's a lot of tackling. You've got to keep your eyes downfield. You've got to be tracking the ball. Um, and if guys aren't used to that and you can't get them from a transferable programme who've had the same system pre-season, I think that's a real struggle to bring in. Um, and I do think that's six safety spot because if you are relying on Cashman um, and, you know, KPL, I think there was definitely, a, or Kevin Pierre-Lewis is, was definitely a guy who, you know, they didn't regret giving him the money. I don't think that's necessarily the right phrase, but certainly there was a lot of kind of angst that he didn't necessarily, you know, become what they wanted to do. So I think linebackers another spot, Jordan, that potentially they could they could look at bringing somebody in as well. Yeah, did you have Neville Hewitt on the on the six? Because I know they love him. Well, yeah, but I mean, do you remember watching him in the Miami game where he came in and he just looked slow? Um, and yeah. he, and that's when you when he I actually had that in my notes when you read training camp examples when it said Neville Hewitt was good in pass coverage. He certainly didn't look like that at full NFL <laughs> pro speed on a Sunday. So that, that yeah. you know, when you see these, you know, I think that's a good barometer of how accurate are these. So yeah, I don't have Hewitt only because I've watched them and and you shouldn't probably dismiss guys. You should probably look at a bigger body of work. But there's, there was enough times last year I just thought, yeah, I, I, I can't. If you want to be good, if you want to improve, he's the kind of guy you need to move on. You know, he's the, ter- he's yeah. the Terrence Mitchell of the linebacker group. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I was just curious because I know they like him and I know they kind of see him as like, if Kirksey goes down, like he was our mic. And so that's a very yeah. important thing for, for Lovey. So I, I would, it wouldn't be the decision I would make. I think Kevin Pierre-Lewis has more upside like you do clearly. Um, but I, if I were to like put my money on who they would keep, I think it would be uh, Hewitt instead. Yeah. And I, and you kind of hope you kind of get away from some of that favorites kind of guys that are you yeah, know, like definitely. salt, you know, locker room influences because yeah I mean looking I, I, I may be wrong but I, I there was too many times where I just watched them last year and yeah. thought yeah this guy ain't it if you want to be <laughs> if you want to be good in in this league but what's the what's the kind of stuff you're looking for on um, when you what do you want to see from a preseason game obviously everybody comes out healthy that's number one but yeah. what's the kind of stuff you'll be looking for in terms of you know the team as a whole this weekend um it's really it's not about like the win or loss. I mean, I would love for them to be competitive, but at the end of the day, it's, it's preseason football. A lot of this is mainly, and, and Lovey Smith talked to this too in one of his press conferences. A lot of it is mainly individual play and kind of breaking it down from a micro sense rather than a macro sense. Cause it's really hard for a team to get, to come together right now and play as like a collective cohesive unit in the first week of preseason. So I'm expecting things to be a bit ugly but I want to really focus on the young guys, you know, focus on the rookies and Petrie Stingley isn't playing. Correct. I wouldn't think he does. No, no I think yeah. they're, they're still taking nice and easy on him. Yeah. So see how Petrie's doing on the defense is, is the game too fast for him? Is he at the right mental state? Where are they playing him? How much is it deep? How much is it in the box? Are they blitzing him? I really want to see how much they blitz him because that's really one of his best skill sets. 
Um, so I, I want to see that out of Petrie. I want to see how Pierce is looking as a runner. Um, and then just the general offensive scheme with Mills, like what are they asking him to do? Is it a lot of these short underneath passes? Are they going to try and go deep? Because that's been kind of the latest development out of Davis Mills. Like early on, it, it sounded like he was really comfortable, very efficient, connecting on passes, looking good. And now these last few days, it's been where are the deep balls? Where are the explosive plays? He can't push the ball downfield. He's not even going into the intermediate windows anymore. And, and today was his worst day. Um, the DJ Bienemy, I don't know how to, yep. it's not Bienemy, yeah, yeah. but yep. Bienem, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Um, from the new ESPN Texans reporter, he, he was saying today that Davis Mills was seven for 15 in, in the team periods. That's kind of ugly, um, especially for team periods. I would not cut it in a game, let alone in, in, in practices against your own team. So I, I don't mean to harp on one bad day. Obviously, every quarterback has one bad day, but it is, it does speak to his greater um, depth of work that we saw as a rookie is that there were occasional deep passes here and there, and he definitely got better at it later in the season. But for the most part, a lot of it was checkdowns underneath stuff, garbage time where defense is backing way off. And he's just taking these underneath completions to kind of boost up some of those stats. So that's really what I'll be, I'll be looking for. Um, at the preseason. Yeah. And I think yeah, you're right because I mean, there'll be so many substitutions that the sort of uh, cohesion of the game often fritters pretty quickly uh, right into the second half. And I think, yeah, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule out playing Mills, you know, a full quarter. And I think obviously you've got to be careful because we said injuries, but ultimately reps is his best friend at the minute. Um, always reminds me of, you know, in the hard knocks when Clowney came back and Vrabel's, <laughs> Vrabel's shouting at him, telling him you need a million of these. And I think, you know, Mills isn't too far off that, if not actually more at that position. So you know, and I, I think you want to put him out there um, and give him enough time. Obviously, you know, guys like Brandon Cooks and Tunsil, I don't, you know, don't expect to see, you know, very limited at all. You know, this offseason, we'll see what Lovey's kind of, you know, philosophy is on that. He may well want to give guys some time because, you know, he's he came from the era where, you know, guys played, you know, predominantly, you know, three quarters of the game and in game three. Now we're obviously down to three games, This you know, in this new 17 league year so. Yeah, we'll see who we are on that. I'm interested to see what they do at tight end with O'Claire going down. That looks a really, really weak spot at the minute, I think, if not the weakest. Um, and everybody wants to see Pierce at running back, I think, just to get a couple of flashes of what he looks like. Because, yeah, I think that he was one of the kind of, you know, you get those guys later in rounds just because of the position he played. And in the backup offensive line, guys, this one's this, I like watching the most in preseason. You know, you know, what does Austin Deculus look like? Is Charlie Heck there? You know, have we got cover for... The centre spot because Justin Britt you know with all the best will in the world you know I, I, I've i never been a huge fan but I think well, not only because not nothing particularly to do with him I just think at the stage of his career now he's he's not necessarily there you know it's the same and there could be the same with AJ, AJ Can this year as well so what are these backup guys going to look like because we might have to lean on them you know if history injury history of those two guys alone have taught us anything two of which are expected to be starters so you know let's see what those guys have got I think and and um yeah, and let's see if you know, young guys can make plays. And, and they might not make the team here. They might make the team somewhere else. But um, it's good to have football back, I think, Jordan, definitely, um, for to, to actually watch a real game. Because I kind of, it's, you know, there's only so much you can make of, of these practices if you're not actually there and, you know, trusting your own eye or you, know, you trust certain people. But, um, 
In terms of in terms of um, you know this defense, what what do you think is a li- likely outcome, or what's or what's the ideal outcome? And we'll take it back from there. But uh, this defense this year, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Lovey will call a good season a step forward because we all know he's got another year to improve it, just because of the the context in which he was hired. But um, what do you think? Good looks like for the Texas D twenty twenty two. I guess it's really just about getting better from last year. Um, in terms of like where they would want to be in terms of maybe points per game or whatnot. Like, I think you'd want to get out of that bottom 10 and maybe into somewhere where you're maybe the 20th best scoring defense, 18th best scoring defense, something like that. Um, and then the same can be said for their pass defense. I think their rush defense probably, I think you're happy if you're around maybe 22, 24, 25, like that's probably a good ranking for you. Um, But I think also in terms of success is further than just like the, the scoring and and whatnot and how many yards per game you give up. It's, it's how can you get after the quarterback? I think that's really always going to be Lovey's priority. Um, Can you make the quarterback uncomfortable? And so a lot of that rests on the defensive line. And a lot of that rests also on Lovey and, and his schematics. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting, man. His defense has, has got some more talent and they've got some young talent. So I'm excited to see how it comes all together. Um, who gets the Shaq Lawson award this year? Biggest disappointment. They might even not even make it through camp, but who's the who's the guy who may not live up to expectations? Uh, man. I've got one for That's you. Tough. I think people okay, might be You sure. go first. You go first. Steven Nelson. Yeah. I, I think Steven Nelson is getting a lot of hype right now, and, and he's always been just kind of a cornerback too. Yep. And I think it'll be even tougher when you've got a rookie across yep. from you. And so I could, I could see that for sure. I would say him or – it's not even that the expectations are high. I just don't think Christian Kirksey's a very good player. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he looks fine in the box score, but if you watch the games, this man makes so many mistakes in terms of mental errors and putting himself out of position. His, yeah, his depth and coverage at times is, is not good. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's clear. I, you know, he'd have to watch too much tape to kind of pick yeah. that up. Yeah, I think Nelson, in a similar way that Justin Reed was penalised through no fault of his own, but the, just the, the rotation on the back end, he's yeah. trying to cover, he's trying to direct traffic, he's trying to do too much. He's got a rookie play next to him, he's got a rookie safety, he's got a safety number two next to him that he doesn't necessarily know who it is and certainly not got a lot of established game film in this league, I think, his potential one um they are mvp of the defense mvp uh i feel like the safe play is is cammy gruja hill or jonathan grenard um gruja hill was was statistically i would say the most like well-rounded player last year for us grenard had the flashy sacks but so i think it would be between one of those two i, I would love to say petrie but it's just it just it's a rookie so i just want to be temper expectations there um Man, I'll go with Grenard. I'll go with Grenard. Let's say he takes that that third year step, um, becomes a, a 9, 10, 11 sack guy and also gets into the backfield more for tackle for losses and, and, and really drives that D-line. Yeah. Um, and the most improved or, or biggest surprise of the season? Biggest surprise of the season. Hmm. Um, let's my, go my, with... one, my one's Roy Lopez. 
That's what I was going to go with as well. There you go, yeah. Sorry, I've stolen that one off you. I'm doing, <laughs> I did a, well, I think him in between and Richard Green, I think it might surprise a lot of people. I think I think Green, because he's got film tape, he went to USC, he was a big prospect, 20 sacks in his final season in college. Never quite lived up to that. Um, but certainly I think he's got he's got a lot of potential to be versatile because I think when you get a go at a different lineman across from you inside and out, it gives you more opportunity to keep things fresh at the point of attack. Whereas if you're just off the right end, right end, right end all game, it can bring familiarity, get more locked up more just by just by commonality of what you're trying to do. But yeah, I think what two of those guys could hopefully because we're going to need it um, up front definitely. Um, any have you got a game you're going to this year, Jordan? You got any booked up or anyone you're looking forward to the most or what's your what are you looking the forward one to? I'm really looking forward to is going to the Vegas game. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it together because tickets are insane. Um, I can figure out the flight. I can cover that. But tickets right now are absolutely insane. So I need to figure that part out. Um, it would either be that or the, the Cleveland game, of course, in, in Houston. That Those are the two I got circled for sure. What about you, man? Yeah, I think so. I've not got any travel plans sorted out yet this year, but I think I need, need to try and kind of get on top of that. But yeah, I think the Vegas one, I think it's just the, it's just the money you spend when you're there. I think that's the, that's the issue. Um, but yeah, I think from an atmosphere point of view, and we've not talked Watson because I, I don't want to talk about it again until it's definitive, if it'll ever be definitive before you know before the first snap of the season. But yeah, that from an atmosphere point of view, it'd be quite you know be quite, might be quite testy um, to say the least. But um, but football's back and we're looking forward to it, I think. And it's quite it's good to be in a position where you can see a path to development, you can see a path to improvement. Um, but that's gonna start and end probably with the support and you know and the improvement that Mr. Davis Mills makes. So um, a lot to be seen. We'll definitely speak again this season, Jordan. But um thank you very much for your time once again, mate. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me as always, man. It's always a great time talking ball with you.